Brother Bob, what a joy. I don't know if you've noticed it, but that we have uh, what's going on up here on screen today. This is, uh, we've been blessed by having new cameras, and uh, so you're able to see me in the choir and those that are participating here in the uh, uh, on stage. But you also probably don't know that I also have a camera here. I mean, uh, 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 a video of you as you are watching me, and I can tell when you go to sleep or not. So I have a screen here, so don't dare go to sleep on me tonight, today. Well, it's exciting. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 15. We're going to look at a familiar, very familiar parable that Jesus shared at this particular time. A parable that what some have called the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to begin reading in verse 11. And we're going to read through verse 24. So with your Bibles open, would you stand with me in reading this passage of Scripture? And a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered, all together journeyed to a far country, And there wasted his possession with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, 
Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. What a story. Father, what a picture of you here in this passage of Scripture. Help us get a better picture and an understanding of how much you love us and how much you were willing to provide for us. Fill us with your spirit. Anoint us with your power. Use us for your glory is our prayer today. Remove any hindrances. And we pray, dear Lord, that what is said will be honoring and glorifying to you, our Savior. We commit this moment to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Very familiar parable, very familiar passage of Scripture. No doubt you've heard it spoken about prayer, and not only spoken, but you've also have read it and discovered some wonderful truths. Waldo Emerson said that it is probably the greatest short story in the Bible and out of the Bible. And I would hardly agree to that very fact as well. Probably the most widely known of all the parables that Jesus ever spoke. Ivor Powell, he said this. He said that this parable is a gospel within a gospel. And I would agree with him as well. But you know what we do quite often we look at this passage of Scripture and we think about the prodigal son, the wayward child. And we have recognized that maybe possibly as parents that we've had wayward children or probably that maybe we as our own selves have been a time in our life where we have drifted away and that we have spent all on the worldly possessions. Maybe there's possibly somebody here today as I'm speaking that once walked with God, but you got your eyes and your affections upon the world and you began to allow it to lure you away and to keep you from a fellowship of the God that loves you. But you know what I like to do this morning? Instead of really primarily focusing upon the Son, which of course is very important as we think about this story, I'd like for us to focus upon the Father. Probably there's not a better picture in the entire Bible of God the Father as this passage of scripture is. 
And so what I'd like for us to do is to focus for a few moments on the Father. And I want you to begin to think about, as you think about this Father, of how it truly represents God and the way that He loves us and the way that He forgives us and the way that He demonstrates His grace and His mercy to us. Three things I'd like to share with you this morning. If you have your bulletin, you might follow along with me. First of all, I want you to notice to see the willing of the Father. Now, I think that as you began to focus upon this, you began to notice that the Father, no doubt, did not want His Son to leave the house. He did not want His Son to go into a foreign land. He did not want his son to experience what that boy was about to experience. But you know what? He allowed him to go. You know, as I think about God, God has allowed us to be free moral agents. And he has allowed us to make choices. And in those choices, we have to live with the consequences, do we not? We are not a bunch of robots. God allows us to make choices, and whether they're good or whether they're bad. And so, as we think about these choices, I want you to look at some of the choices as we think about this young man here today. First of all, you notice the son's demand. The Bible tells us in verse 12, it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Sounds pretty selfish, doesn't it? So many times we are very selfish individuals, and being selfish is what gets us in trouble so many times. But the Bible says this, It says that, thinking about the Father, so he divided to them his livelihood. The son was simply telling his father, Father, I'm tired of staying in the house. I want to get out on my own. I want to do my own own thing. He wanted his portion of inheritance. Now, of course you would know that inheritance only comes when the father has died. Could it possibly be said that this boy was so selfish that he was saying, Father, I wish you were dead where I can inherit my inheritance. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that this young man was about to make. But he was making a demand before his father. Now, there were some exceptions to the rule that the father would give the inheritance to their children before they, before he died. And this was one of those exceptions. When there were two sons, the older son would get two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger son would get one-third of the inheritance. So if that may be the case, 
This young boy got one-third of the inheritance of his father. This boy was saying, Dad, and he's making a demand. He's not asking, but he's making a demand. I am going to be free, and I want to live my way. Almost reminds you of an old song that Frank Sinatra used to sing many years ago. I did it my way. And that's exactly what this boy did. But there's not only the son's demand, but notice with me the son's departure. The Bible says in verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Bright lights of the city were in the son's eyes. He had heard about the big city. He had heard about the places and the people and the things that he could experience and enjoy. He was tired living on the farm. And he was wanting to go to the big city. He was determined not to allow his life to be cramped any longer as he saw it. Now I think it's interesting... You notice the word wasted. It said, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That's a picture of taking a piece of grain, throwing up in the air, and allowing the wind to separate the wheat from the chaff and falling upon the ground. Wasted. In other words, we've heard it before as he blew it. That's where the expression comes from. He blew it. He blew all of his possessions upon riotous living and thinking that he was going to have a good time and the Bible says that he spent all that he had, all of his pleasure. Now, the Bible does remind us, does it not, that there is such a thing as pleasure in sin. I mean, if there was not pleasure in sin, people wouldn't do it. I've heard preachers say, you can't have fun in sin. How foolish could a man say such a thing? I mean, after all, that's what people do. They, well, they're seeking pleasure. They're seeking enjoyment. Even as you look upon commercials today, you see the beer commercial. Grab all the gusto you can. Talking about pleasure. But the Bible says, as it reminds us that there is pleasure in sin, but then it goes a step further for a season. It comes to an end. It doesn't tell you that there's going to be a famine at the end. It doesn't tell you there's going to be a trial and tribulations and troubles and you're going to find yourself at the bottom of the barrel. So you notice here of the son's departure. But then notice with me in verse 14 of the son's decline. But when he had spent all there arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. He lived it up. 
He enjoyed the pleasures of sin, but then the Bible says there's a famine came, not only into the land, but a famine came into his life. And the Bible reminds us that he was experiencing troubles. The story of sin never ceases. Always, yes, pleasure, but yes, destruction. And we find the destruction here. The bright lights had now become a dark night in his life. The pleasure of life has now become a poverty of the soul. Sin will show you to have fun, but it will never show you that there will be a famine at the end of the day. What a tragedy. And oh, if I could just say a word to our young people and to remind them that sin, yes, has pleasure in it, but oh, don't forget the consequences that's going to come. No doubt the father knew the consequences and the son did not. Oh, if the father could have kept him from going. If the father could have kept him from going. But no, the father allowed him to do as he chose. You'll notice the son's despair. Look what the Bible says in verse 15 and 16. It says, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. Can you imagine a Jewish boy feeding swine? You're talking about a disgrace. And the Bible says, In verse 16, and he would gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods of that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. The son finally hit rock bottom. He found a job in a foreign country, in a foreign world. And what was it? But it was slopping a bunch of hogs. We've heard the old saying that he went to the dogs. Well, this guy went to the hogs. What a tragedy. And I see it time after time after time when there's people thinking that the grass is greener on the other side and thinking that they can walk away from God and walk away into sin and to think... They're going to live happily ever after. It never happens. It never happens. He left and he went far away from the home. He left a warm, clean house. Now he is in the pig pen with the pogs. He left a table with plenty of food on the table to go to a place where that he was eating the leftovers from the pigs. The father was willing to let him go. Oh, as I think about in my own life, there was a time and a period in my life 
that I drifted away and I drifted into a far country. And oh, I thought I was having a good time. And then the stark reality came and brought to me the realization that I was living in sin and sin was bringing judgment into my life. And I lost that peace and joy that I once had. Certainly God wants us to live for Him. Certainly God wants us to serve Him. Certainly God wants us to live in the center of His will. But all as He is a God will allow you to go if you're willing and wanting to go. And He won't stop you. So we've looked at the willingness of the Father. But let's go a step further and not only look at the willing of the Father, but the waiting of the Father. Oh, what a picture of God the Father here. It says in verse 20, His Father saw it. I don't want you to overlook that. This is such an incredible statement. The Father saw Him. A little statement, but it's full of truth. You know what that tells me? The father had been watching. The father had been looking. The father had been longing for his son to come home. The heart of the father was upon that son and was with that son. And the eyes of the father was down that path, hoping and praying that this may be the day that the son would come home. I don't know if you've ever had a wayward child. I remember my youngest son, Heath. There was a period of time that he began to go into a foreign country. His mom and I, we would grieve at night. We would, we would pray and we would cry and we would wonder where he's at. And I'll never forget, after a number of months, his mom went to him and she said, I turned you over to the Lord. And she said, I'm not going to worry about you any longer. He says today that was the worst words he'd ever heard in his life. Knowing that his mother turned him over to the Lord. And the Lord took him to the woodshed. (laughs) And now he's a preacher. But he went into that foreign land. I understand what it means for a father to be looking down the road. I understand waiting for those lights of that car to come home. I remember there would be times I was embarrassed. And thinking, what would other people think? He's a preacher's son. So I understand 
the Father's love. I understand. I get a glimpse a little bit about the waiting of the Father because of the love of the Father. See, the Son here had disgraced His family. To leave like He did and to take the inheritance, it brought disgrace upon this family. It brought disgrace upon the name of that household, but it also brought disgrace to that father. I remember when my boys were small, I would take them to school. And the last words I would say to them when they got out of the car, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Because they were carrying my name. And they were carrying the Lord's name. And my friend, I want you to understand, if you're a child of God and you've walked away from the Lord, you are carrying His name. And here you begin to find the amazing love of the Father. J.H. Jowett said, I have proclaimed that everybody is in the love grip of the eternal. Is there a bigger thing than that to say to anybody? Can I get anybody to tell me of a bigger thing than that God loves them and loves them with an everlasting love? Precious, precious love. God's love is firm. He will never let us go. I'm never, I'm so grateful to know that even if I go into a foreign country, the Father still loves me. And He longs for me to come home. Charles Spurgeon was talking to a young preacher boy that had just built a new church and they put on their steeple a, on the, a weather vane. And on that weather vane, they put on there, God is love. Charles Spurgeon looked at the young man, and he says, Young man, do you think God's love is changeable as the wind? The young preacher boy said, No, sir. The message is that God loves no matter which way the wind blows. And that is so true. But look at the longing of the Father. Not only the love of the Father, but the longing. Not only had this Father been looking for His Son's return, but He had been longing for His Son to return. I can almost imagine every day sitting on that porch, rocking back and forth in that rocking chair, and He was, had His eyes beamed on that road down that lonely road. Wonder if this is the day that he's going to come home. I can almost imagine every time he went to the mailbox, he's looking, waiting. And then by that time, he sees something and he thinks that he recognizes that person. I can almost imagine 
he probably rubs his eyes because tears starting to well up in his eyes and begin to say, could that be my boy? Could that possibly be my son? Can you get the picture as the Bible shows this father running to that young boy? It's the only time that you'll ever find that a picture in the Bible of God in a hurry. Running. Embracing. Loving. Kissing. That boy. That had been away. Which brings me to my last point. I want you not only to see the willingness of the father. And of course the waiting of the father but all the welcoming of the Father. What a beautiful picture. I guess if I'd been asked one time, I'd been asked a a dozen times, Preacher, could God ever forgive me? Preacher, do you really think that God would take me back? thousand times a thousand. The answer is yes. God loves us. And that God is always willing to take us back. Look at that repentant son as you begin to look at verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him. Father. I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven. And before you. And I am no longer worthy. To be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The Bible says that the son came to himself, came to his right senses, came to his right mind. It takes a madman to walk away and to stay away from the Lord himself. When you think about the love of the father and as he's waiting waiting for you. Here's a young boy. He's repentant. He's repenting of his sins. He's trying to confess to his father. And and the father is just so grateful that he's home. He don't even respond to his repentance. He just begins to love him and kiss him and embrace him and begins to welcome him home. What a picture. What a picture of the Father. John Phillips said this, and I think it's so amazing. He said, he went up to the big house on the hill. The swine were still rooting in the field. The pig trough was almost empty of slop. Holding the pig pail, he banged on the farmhouse door. Here, mister, he called. Here's your pig pail. I won't need it any longer. I'm going home. 
I'm going home. He knew that his father would receive him. You here today, do you know what it means of how much God loves you? You've never accepted him as your Lord and your Savior. My friend, I want you to notice that God loves you beyond your understanding. And he's willing to give his only begotten son so that you may have everlasting life. You're here today and you've wandered into a foreign country. I want you to understand God's waiting for you. And he's telling you, come on home. Come on home. And I want you to understand, when you come home, you're not going to have to beg, borrow, and steal to get into his household. Because, my friend, he's going to run, welcoming you into the fellowship and the presence of Almighty God. Look at that receptive father. Someone asked Abraham Lincoln one time toward the end of the Civil War, and they said, Sir, how are you going to treat these rebellious Southerners when the war is over? He said, I will treat them as though they had never been away. You know how God's going to treat you? As though you've never been away. He loves you. Thomas Wolfe, wrote a book one time and he titled it, You Can't Go Home Now. Well, my friend, I want you to understand, you can go home. You can go home. The Father will receive you. Here's a picture of the Father and he's running. Now, I want you to notice something about verse 20. There's two things about a man in the, in the place of where he was at that is so surprising that he's running. Number one, you've got to realize he's got a long robe. And it'd be very difficult for him to run with that robe. And secondly, it would be very undignified to run. Men of those days did not run. They would walk. But oh, I want you to understand, the father forgot about his dignity. And here he goes, and he runs, and he grabs him, and he begins to place his lips upon his neck. Now, back in those days, when a young man that would disgrace his family, as he would come back, they would take him to the elders and sometimes would stone him because of what he has done. And one of the first things that they would do, they would place their heel upon the neck of that young boy that who had disgraced the family. But not so with this father. He didn't place his heel upon his neck, but he placed his lips upon his neck, kissing him, loving him, 
embracing him. Notice how glorious this reception was in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. The Bible says they put a robe upon him. Now, you can imagine slopping the hogs, how probably dirty this guy was. And you can probably imagine uh, the stink and the smell that was upon him. Have you ever noticed how the world, when it deals with you, handles you very roughly? I can look at people today, and just by their complexion, you can see the world has handled them roughly. Here, the Bible says that this guy put a ring upon his finger. Sign of authority. A sign and a symbol of the power of attorney. In other words, he said, Son, I want to remind you that what you left as you come back is still yours. What mine is yours. And then the Bible says they put shoes on his feet. See, back in those days, slaves didn't wear shoes. Only the servants did. And here the servant... He symbolized that, I mean, that servant as he begins to embrace him. He loves him. The father waits for him. And he kisses him. And he cleans him up. And he restores him. And he blesses him. The Bible says in verse 14, he began in want and then in verse 24, he began to be merry. What a contrast. No misery as the misery felt in the heart of one that who has walked away from the Father. I heard about these college students. They were on the bus... And they were coming from New York to Miami, Florida. And there was nobody on that bus except these six college students and one man. And they noticed that this man looked rather unusual. They tried to talk to him, but all he really wanted to do was just look out the window. But finally, he began to talk. And to come find out, this man had just been released from prison. He had been in prison for four years for manslaughter. He had disgraced his wife and his children and his name. He had not spoken or heard from his wife and children for four years. 
he wrote them a letter and told him that he was being released from prison and he was coming home. In that letter, he said, I understand if you don't want me to come home. I understand that if you wanted and did marry another person, I would understand that. But by chance, if you forgave me and allow me to come home, just put it an old handkerchief on the old oak tree outside the house. Well, he told that story to these college students, and they were anticipating what probably would happen. And as they began to round the curve, the old man began to look out the window. And those college students began to look. And all of a sudden, they began to jump and shout and to find out there was not one handkerchief, but the whole oak tree was filled with handkerchiefs. My friend, I want you to understand, God is hanging out a handkerchief today. He's telling you to come on home. He loves you. And he's willing to forgive you. And he's willing to receive you. And he's willing to bring you home back into the fellowship. Oh, I'll never forget. Never forget that Thursday night. Me and my pastor got down on our knees at an altar similar to this. And I confessed to the Lord of my wayward life. And I asked him to forgive me. Ask him to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And I'll never forget how it was like a ton of bricks rolled off my back. And I'll never forget a feeling how clean I felt that day. I cherish that moment. I don't want to ever go back into a foreign land again, my friend, because the only thing there is famine and destruction and heartache and trouble. Why don't you come on home? Why don't you come on home? Lord Jesus, thank you.